coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on 11th of December, 2022. The Defining Factor. Well, this morning, I'd like to take us in a different direction of, instead of just the prophecies fulfilled, to look at a person that we don't examine very much, but is related to the Christmas story. And that's the story of Simeon, as we read the account there in Luke chapter 2 this morning. But before we focus in on that passage, I'd invite you to turn to a book that we rarely turn to in the Bible, and that's the book of Malachi. So if you would turn to Malachi, the first chapter... And you say, okay, pastor, what in the world has this got to do with what we're, what we're talking about today? He said, I want to give you a glimpse into the spiritual life of the nation of Israel 400 years before Christ came. And you go, well, why would you want to do that? So that you might wipe away any notion that Jesus came into a setting that was tuned up for him because everybody was on fire for God. It was just the opposite. We read in Malachi this account of this prophet as he's literally coming down on the people and specifically the religious leaders. If anybody should be walking with God, it would be the religious leaders, you would think. But Malachi comes and we read some words that, like I say, we don't normally turn to Malachi. But I want you to hear what he has to say right off the bat in, in Malachi chapter 1. He begins by saying that the Lord loves you. But then he turns to them and, and he goes, but do you love me? And in verse 6 and following, we read, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If, thy, if then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. And when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame and sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor, Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And he says, if you are going to serve up to the governor what you serve up to me, what would the governor say about what you're offering? Would you dare? And yet you dare to offer it to me. And this he's talking to the religious leaders. He goes on from there. You can read if you so desire, the next couple chapters, well, there's, the book isn't very long, wouldn't take long to read through the whole thing. But he comes back and he rebukes them 
for several things, including what they offer up to him. But basically, they have said, eh, it really doesn't matter what we do, as long as we're doing it. It doesn't have to be the, the pure lambs. We could just offer up the lamb. And so they were already in Malachi's day, just pretty much not fearful of the Lord at all, not concerned about what he would have to say. They certainly were not close in their walk with God. But I love this, and I'm going to take you here because you'll like to see this. In verses 16 and following, in the chapter 3, after con condemning them, saying you robbed God in your tithes and offerings and you've done all these kinds of things. He says this as an aside, verse 16 of chapter 3. Then those who fear the Lord spoke with one another. They were talking among themselves. And the Lord paid attention and heard them. You know, God pays attention all the time. <laughs> he hears all the things. But those that fear the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord was paying attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. What had happened to the religious leaders? They didn't esteem the name of the Lord. And they certainly didn't honor him or fear him. He says, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him, then once more you shall call me, you shall call, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not serve God. Okay, now this was happening during the time of Malachi, Malachi finished up the writings of the Old Testament and then was known as 400 silent years where there was no prophet speaking for God. There was a time when there was no revelation from God. In fact, in this time period, maybe you've heard of the Maccabees. The Maccabees happened in that 400 years. But so did uh, a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. He was not a good guy. If somebody wanted to be the chief priest, all they had to do is bribe him. And he would appoint them chief priest because he had oversight over that area. And so that didn't sit too well for those that were devout and, and wanting to honor God. How can this, this heathen appoint a high priest? He has no say in the matter, but he did. And then if somebody came along with some more bucks, he would appoint him in his place and put him in as high priest. And you imagine how that would rankle those that wanted to follow God. It says, how can we follow a guy who declares himself to be the high priest, but he's only the high priest because he paid off this evil man to get the job. 
Josephus in his writings talked about an account of what happened when uh, he went to take the city of Jerusalem and he did and he took it actually quicker than he suspected and this is what Josephus had to say about Antiochus. Antiochus was not satisfied either with his unexpected taking of the city or with its pillage. Remember, he goes and pillages this city now. Or with the great slaughter that he made there. He says, that's not enough for me. i got to do more. But being overcome with his violent passions, this is Josephus' words, and remembering what he had suffered during the siege, he compelled the Jews to dissolve the laws of their country. When your laws don't mean anything now. You're not, we're not going to follow any of those. And to keep their infants uncircumcised, which was a sign of covenant with the Jews. The kids can't be circumcised. And to sacrifice swine's flesh upon the altar, against which they all opposed themselves. And the most approved among them were put to death. In other words, the ones that protested the most were put to death. Really spiritual high points going on in Israel, right? 400 years from Malachi to the time of the New Testament and the coming of the Savior. Now what do you think happened over those 400 years? Did things blossom into a spiritual revival? No. Okay. So I want you to get this picture of what was going on in the time when Christ came. But I want you to hear the commentary, and maybe you'll see this commentary in a different light. This is a commentary in Galatians. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive the adoption of the sons. That's the divine commentary. In other words, God said, Jesus came at the right time. Well, what was the right time? It was a time of spiritual lethargy at its best and apostasy as it's described in scripture. You go, oh my. And then we read the account of Jesus being born. Where is he born? In a stable? Placed in the manger? This is the redeemer? This is where he comes to? But remember, there were those, as we said, whose heart were not that way. And one of them is Simeon. Here's why I believe Simeon is recorded in Scripture. It's not for just for the things he's about to say, but the fact of the acknowledgement of God's Messiah by a third party. What had happened up to this point? Well, we have the angel appearing to Mary, right? In the privacy of your own home. Who else saw that? No one. We have angel 
appearing to Joseph in the dream. Of course, no one saw that. And they go, his name is Jesus, because that's what God told us. And everybody going, right. We say, well, what about Zacharias and Elizabeth? Zacharias gets a message from an angel. Where does he hear that message from the angel? In the holy place. How many else? How many people are around him? None. When he comes out, he can't talk because he doubted the word. And so he's writing it on the pad and they go, hmm, you, something happened in there. Of course, Elizabeth gets pregnant. And Mary goes after the message of the angel, travels down to see Elizabeth. And Elizabeth's, the babe weep, leaps in the womb and, and Elizabeth goes, the mother of my Lord is here. But Elizabeth is family. Oh, I got it. What about when Jesus was born and the shepherds got the message from the angels? Finally, an outside source, and they came and they and they saw. But where did they hear that? They heard it from the angels. People going, you know what those shepherds out in the hills. No. Yeah, well, it's a good thing they stay out there. They smell like sheep. Whew. You know. But finally, it's time for the dedication. Mary's going to come and Joseph's going to come and they're going to pay the price of purchasing their son back from the Lord, which was what we read in this text. Now let's look at this outside testimony about who this child is. In Luke chapter 2, we read, They had come, in verse 25, and there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Okay, so we're introduced now to this person, Simeon. And he's described with some terms. He says that he's righteous and devout, and he's filled with the Spirit. The Spirit is upon him. And I want to look at those three elements because that describes something totally different than what we read in Malachi. Totally different, except at the end of chapter 3 when it talks about the righteous remnant. Mm -hmm. And what we have here is a description of what the righteous remnant looks like. What about those people that Jesus would later on say in his ministry, you're not true Jews because if you did, you would recognize me like Abraham recognized me and you would worship me like he worshiped you. And you would be the faithful remnant, but they're not. He says, you're of your father, Satan. So what does a righteous remnant look like? We have this description of Simeon. And it says, first of all, he's righteous. Well, you go, okay, well, that makes sense. A righteous remnant ought to be righteous. But what does that mean? That word 
is used in scripture only to describe those who are redeemed. No one described as being righteous apart from redemption. A person has to believe in God, put his trust in God for him to be called righteous. We see that in Abraham, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. He believed the Lord and was counted to him as righteousness. This is also this further expanded in Romans chapter 5. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And as to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So when we run across this passage, it just says, and Simeon, you know, he was uh, righteous and devout and filled with the Spirit. And let's move on. Let's get on to the important stuff. No, let's pause there for a moment. Started with his description of a man who is redeemed, who is righteous in God's eye. It says also he was devout. That doesn't mean that he was conscientious, although that's certainly a part of it. What it means to be devout means literally to be God-fearing. What did they say in Malachi was a description of the religious leaders? They had no fear of God. You don't fear God. If you feared God, you wouldn't, you wouldn't possibly go and do what you're doing. You wouldn't offer up these sick lambs as, as good for sacrifice to God. You wouldn't even offer this to uh, the governor, much less to God. The question comes back to us. What kind of person was Simeon? Says he was righteous, he was redeemed. And that led into a life of being God-fearing. It's how he lived his life. Day by day, he wanted to say, is my walk okay with God? The third element there, it says that he was filled, that, well, he doesn't use the word filled, but he says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, we see that over and over in Scripture. Um, Ephesians 5.18, Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit was active in the Old Testament. You know, we sometimes think, well, the Holy Spirit came after Jesus, you know, went back to heaven and sent the Spirit to them. No, the Spirit was active before that. But there's some descriptions that are used in this passage that are used in other places where it says, and the Spirit came upon this person for a particular activity. Now, there were some, like John the baptizer, who was, the Holy Spirit came upon him in his mother's womb, and he was set aside for ministry from his mother's womb. Of course, Mary was given this juncture 
with the Holy Spirit so that Jesus Christ could be set aside for ministry for the whole of his life. But other times, the Holy Spirit would come upon a person for a particular task. One example is Elizabeth, when the Holy Spirit came upon her and she declared <clears throat> that this is the mother of my Lord has come to me. There was times when the Holy Spirit would come upon a person for a particular ministry. And the Holy Spirit, when a person is filled, is empowered and directed to do the will of God. So here we have this man who's described as a person who is righteous, and we know that he was redeemed. He was devout, therefore, in his life, he was God-fearing, and that he was spirit-filled, empowered, and directed by the Spirit of God. A huge contrast to what was going on all around him. I mean, in our, in our account today, Simeon is going to come to the temple. If you would think that there would be a holy place in all of Israel, it would be in the temple. But what did we know about the temple? Later on in Jesus' ministry, what did he do? He come in, came in twice and overturned the money changers and all those that were profiting from this whole organization of worship that they were had converted to some sort of, of uh, an economic commercial enterprise. Forget God. In fact, there was some indication that a person would come in as a devout, righteous person to offer up a sacrifice. In other words, this was flowing from their heart. They had overseen their, their lamb for sacrifice. They had set it aside as, as to make sure that it had no problems. And they would come and they would bring it. But before they could offer it up, it would have to be inspected. And then the priest who was in on the deal would say, Ah, oh, no. This one's got a blemish, but we'll sell you one. No, I don't have the money. Well, you have to buy the lambs that we sell with temple money, so you're going to have to go through the exchange. Turn in your money for that and get some temple money, and then you can buy the lamb. And because you're here, we'll take that lamb that you brought, which is imperfect, and we'll take it off your hands so you don't have to be bothered. So you would buy, why? Because you want to worship. You want to offer this sacrifice that you come to offer up. And you go about it and that lamb that was yours was either given to them or sold at a greatly reduced rate. And an hour or so from now, that lamb would come up and be used by those same people as Look, at we've got a lamb that will take the place of your bad lamb. This is what was going on. Was there any fear of God? No. And so even, a, even the righteous, devout people would have to deal with this kind of nonsense. And that's why I believe that Jesus twice overthrew all the money changers and all that. 
is because this should be a place of devotion. This is my father's house, house of prayer. What have you done? What are you doing? But that wasn't the case for Simeon. When Simeon came, he came with a heart for God. He was redeemed. He was devout. He was led by the Spirit. Listen to what it says. <clears throat> and he says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. His theology was good, too. God had promised to send along the Messiah. He was looking for it. Let me ask you a question. Why can't a thief find a policeman? Because he's not looking for him. In fact, if he saw him, he would avoid him. What is Simeon doing concerning the coming Messiah? He's looking for him. Why? There's nothing to be fearful of the Messiah coming, but rather something to rejoice over, something desirous. Simeon is looking for the consolation of Israel. Holy Spirit is on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Wow. Can you imagine that? Getting a message from God saying, you will not pass away until you see the Lord's Christ. Some wag said, and his wife said, you're eating too much cholesterol. I says, it's okay. I haven't seen the Lord's Christ. I'm not going to die of cholesterol. Let's go mountain climbing. That's too dangerous. That's okay. I'm not going to die. That's all fanciful stuff. But I think it's humorous. Anyway, it was, it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What a promise. Looking for the consolation of Israel, looking for the Messiah, and now he has a word from God saying, you will get to see him. So we come to verse 27. And he came in the Spirit in the temple. Here we go. The, again, the Holy Spirit has leading and guiding Simeon. And he comes in the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, well, we're going to stop there before what he says. We had the privilege several years ago to, to go to Jerusalem. If you ever have the opportunity, do it. I know eventually you'll get there. <laughs> but if you could do it in this lifetime, and it's a possibility. Oh, most wonderful. But even today with the Temple Mount and the Temple Grounds, right now there's a mosque or two up on the platform and, and Islam has taken over control of all that. But still, the grounds are extensive. And in the days when we would be in Herod's temple, 
It was extensive too. He had built this quite magnificent edifice, a large area that would be the area of the Gentiles or women, those two. And then there would be an inner area where the men would come. And then there would be a holy area where the priests would function, of course. And then you had the temple itself where only the priests could go in and only certain ones. And then into the Holy of Holies, only for the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement. So I want you to get this picture now. This huge big complex and Simeon comes into it. And Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus come into it. There's more than one gate into this area. And it's extensive. And there is a bunch of people there. Capability of holding thousands in the grounds. What does scripture say? And he came in the spirit into the temple and when his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. And you go, how did he know? There was other couples bringing their babies for dedication and how does he know he's even looking for a baby? All he told, was told that he would see the consolation of the Lord, the Messiah. This could be a young man. Could be a full-grown man. Could be at the outset of his ministry. How does he know? He's led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. What that conversation was like, we do not know. Can you imagine him coming up to a young couple with a little one and goes, you know me, but I'm taking your kid? <laughs> so what kind of communication went on there? Do you think Mary and Joseph had an opportunity to tell him a little of the backstory about the angel visits in the dream and in this presence of Mary and the travel down here and Jesus being born and what they knew in their own heart about who he was. And, and now they're as shocked as anybody. Are they expecting to run into a guy like Simeon? No. And what if Simeon shared his backstory with them, saying, well, the Lord told me, the Spirit revealed to me that I would not die until I saw the consolation of Israel and as they're sharing all this thing, somewhere in there, there was the confidence of Mary and Joseph and Simeon for the baby to be handed off. Simeon takes that child and holds it. And he blesses God. And here's what he says. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, you have done what you promised. I finally 
have lived long enough to see this child. Simeon may have been up in years, we don't know. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. You ever had an experience that after time went by, you wondered if really that thing had happened? Remember, Mary had been visited by an angel, but nobody else was around. Joseph had, had a revelation to him in a dream. They had proceeded with the plan of God. They had taken that by faith. They then were ordered to go to Bethlehem for a census. They got down there. The child was born. And you got to wonder, this little one that, that was born to them looks like every other little one that had ever been born. Is what had been revealed to us true? And then the shepherds show up and they go, wow. But how many know about this? And then Simeon shows up. And the temple tells him his story about the provision and providence of God that would bring him at just the right time to find them in a crowd and then to share his story with them, their story with him, and he takes up this child and he says, everything that I hoped and dreamed for has come true. And what does his father and mother do? They marvel at what was said about him. <laughs> I don't know if you read scripture like I do. No, you probably don't. But I read something like that and, and you go, his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Why aren't they a little jaded by now? I mean, we have visions. We have shepherds. This guy coming up to us in the temple. Ah, it's normal stuff now. I guess this is the way it's going to be with Jesus. It was never that case with them. It was still, whoa. Whoa. And Simeon said, I have seen your salvation. What was he talking about? He wasn't talking about, I have seen your plan. He says, I have seen this one. Years and years ago, there was a movie called The Jewel of the Nile. Don't necessarily recommend you seeing it. But the major characters in the story were looking for the jewel of the Nile. And they were thinking, a jewel of the Nile. Let's find this thing. It's got to be worth something. 
Turns out at the end of the movie, the jewel of the Nile was a person. Saying they stole it from here. Because yeah. he wasn't talking about, I have seen your salvation plan. He says, I saw the person who embodies salvation, Jesus Christ. Jewel wasn't a thing but a person. Salvation wasn't a plan but a person. And he says, salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. No, what are you talking about, Simeon? You mean even that Roman soldier? He's here for that Roman soldier? What about those Samaritans that we bypass around in our country? He's for them too? Yes, all nations, all people. Revelation, light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory to the people, Israel. This is for everyone. Then he turns his attention. One final little bit of conversation. He turns to his mother. Turns to Mary and says, Behold, the child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. A sign that is to be opposed, a sword will pierce through your soul as well, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. The fall and rising of many in Israel. Does that strike you as backwards? We normally talk about the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. The rise and fall of the... And he goes, this is for the fall and rising. What is he talking about? There were many who were going to be confronted with the message of salvation. And failed to receive it. But to those who did receive it, they would be raised up and made children of God. He says as well, and for a sign that is opposed, literally, this one, the here, is not a sign, it's a target. He is going to be targeted because of who he is. Do we see that in the life of Christ? Is it's lived out? Absolutely. And he says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Speaking to Mary. There would be sorrow for Mary. We have this notion sometimes, I hope we have dispelled it, but we have this notion that a life in Christ is just going to be wonderful and glorious and happy and there'll be no issues. Why is Simeon telling this to Mary and not to Mary and Joseph? Because as Jesus began his ministry, there is no mention of Joseph. Many believe that Joseph passed on before Jesus began his public ministry. And so Mary would have lost her husband 
and then seeing the attacks on her son and eventually be at the cross when her son was crucified. And Simeon says, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. But he wasn't quite done. And he says, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. It says, when Jesus is confronted, when Jesus confronts others, one of the things that is revealed is what's in a person's heart. Malachi says, I'm looking at your heart. I see what you're doing and why you're doing it. I see it. And he condemned the religious leaders of his day. And Jesus would go on to do the same thing in Matthew as he would condemn the spiritual leaders of his day. He says, but the hearts of, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. What's truly going on? Not what you're saying what's going on. Not what you're doing, because you could be faking it. But what's truly in your heart. And we come back to that description of faithful remnant as we started this description of Simeon. Someone who is really genuinely redeemed, not faking it. And then someone who is devout, God-fearing, knowing that God is sees and knows what's going on in our hearts and living accordingly. And this isn't something to be fearful of. This is something to be rejoicing because the third one talks about he was, he was empowered by the Spirit, but he was looking for the consolation of Israel. He says... Walking with God is a good thing because you look forward to what God says that he's going to do. Over and over during ministry, and maybe you've heard the same sort of thing, people say, oh, I couldn't give my life to Jesus because he would take all the fun out of life. What a bunch of hogwash. Talking about swine polluted thinking but anyway what God intends for us is that we would enjoy him enjoy him Simeon said that Jesus would reveal what's in our heart what's in our hearts God knows I think that's one reason why those heart-sensitive people of Scripture would say things like David did in Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Did God know his heart? Yes. He says, now reveal it to me. Tell me exactly what's going on in my heart. Because I, I want to be led in the way everlasting. I want to walk in your paths. I want to be the way that you are. And Simeon in his comment said, I've walked with you. I've known you. I've walked with you. You promised me to, to live as long 
as I would until I saw the Savior. I've seen the Savior. Take me home, God. This is good. And it's only getting better. We talk about the next thing on the prophetic calendar, Jesus coming for the church. Would we say the same thing as Simeon? I know I'm redeemed. I know I'm right in God's eyes. I am devout. I'm God-fearing. And now I'm ready for your consolation. Take me home, Lord Jesus. Can we say that? We should. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. In the midst of this Christmas story to get a confirmation of exactly what you were up to. From an outside source, a man that no one in the immediate family knew shows up to make his declarations, having been revealed to him the truth about who Jesus Christ really is. And Heavenly Father, I ask that we would pay attention, that we would be justified, righteous, in your eyes, having placed our hope and trust in you. And that we would be devout, fearing a great and high and holy God, not wanting to offer something less than the best, and looking forward to the time you come to take us home. Heavenly Father, may we live that way. This week, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.